Hi, this is Star Wars author Delilah S. Dawson, and you're listening to Clashing Sabers Network. Here we go again. We're home. I bypassed the compressor. You were the chosen one! Something truly special. Congratulations. You are being rescued. Revenge is not the Jedi way. I am no Jedi. ability to speak might not make you intelligent, but we're going to try to prove otherwise. This is the Clashing Sabers podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I am here with my co-host. He is... Oh, I don't get a cool intro like normal days? Okay, okay, I see how it is. I mean, I like <laughs> threw it to you and you just like let it fall down. I, 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 I was I was waiting for a nice intro for you too, Drew. See, I'm not alone in my disappointment. Okay, take two. Ready? I hope I get an intro without <laughs> asking. No, I hope I get yours because usually yours is like she's cool. Mine's so much better. You walk frying a pork or something strange. <laughs> Take a hint, bro. <sighs> wow, All right. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I was not prepared for this. You ready? Here we go. Um, he is more chaotic than a father mm. running mm. through the Moss Eisley mm. Cantina. Mm, you can do better, but I'll accept it for this time. How are you doing? <sighs> well, I was good until like a minute ago. <laughs> he might be able anxiety. to do better, but he certainly could not do more accurate. You yeah, can't I'll allow it. <laughs> yeah, you can't argue that. You can't argue that. And the other oh, voice no. there, she is, in fact, cooler than an Ewok roasting a porg See? for a Minoc roast on an Ardinia. Oh, it's man. Lindsay. Look at that with the unsolicited intro. You know... I do what How I can. How lucky am I? Only the best for you, only the butts for Drew. Wait a minute. <laughs> best and so it begins. All right, guys. So just a little background. We are um, going to try out a little bit of a new format with our top three, bottom three, just to have a little bit of fun and uh, see how this goes. So we're going to be talking tonight about force powers, uh, or excuse me, force abilities. I hate saying powers, uh, force abilities and moments. And instead of calling them top three, bottom three, we are going to call them bests and butts. And we will alternate in between the bests and butts. And uh, we'll see how it goes. And if you guys like this, then you can let us know on our Facebook group or uh, at Clashing Savers on Twitter, or you can email us, or you can be on our Patreon or Instagram, or there's so many ways to get in touch with us. So let us know if you like this format uh, that we're going to get into today, or if you prefer our traditional top three, bottom three, but it should be a fun, fun ride. And speaking of fun rides, uh, the fundraiser that we've been doing has been uh, yeah, a wild, wild ride. Um, we are, uh, we close on, uh, the, the 31st and we're over $1,500. It's, I'm literally That's like, amazing. sometimes I'm just having a moment during the day and I just open the page just to see and just be like, you know what? Star Wars fandom looks out for each other and supports <laughs> each other. Um, I can't tell you how many people that I have had who, uh, have just posted on Facebook and, you know, said how cool it is because star wars books impacted them and i know for all of us 
Star Wars books were a huge, huge, huge impact. So I wish I could literally sit here and name every single one of you by name, but uh, that's just not good radio. So just you know, know, real quick too, even though the raffle itself and the fundraiser aspect of it has closed, we still need a place to send those funds to. So whether you entered the raffle or not, of course, Brandon, can't they still uh, nominate a teacher that they know or even themselves? 1000% absolutely. So we have uh, a link on our uh, website. I was gonna say Facebook page. It's not on our Facebook page, but it is on our website clashingsavers.net. Just click on the menu at the top. Um, and you will see nominated teacher and you just put in their information. And we will get in touch with them, let them know that they have a box coming. And uh, no matter what, even if you think like, oh, there, other people are going to, you know, put names in or whatever, I keep track all year um, Mm -hmm. of names that are given and um, just do it on a rotating basis. So uh, even if we we feel, I I mean, we're going to have like 500 books to send out. It's going to be absolutely amazing. But um, just know that if you put their name in, they will 100% be getting um, books and we have bookmarks and stuff that we send. uh, Hopefully just to make the kids feel like, you know, things are okay you know like it's a weird we want to let them know that people are thinking about them and supporting them and that with all the craziness that's going on in the world in education in schools that uh you know people are thinking about them uh and considering how much stories like star wars and everything can impact us as i know it's impacted everybody listening right now so go over there nominate a teacher um we do any level they can be um special services uh, special needs students they can be uh college ap high school students they can be second graders first graders kindergarten we buy books based on the need that we have so yes absolutely um, please actually you would make my life a whole lot easier if you go over and nominate the teacher so that when I go buy out the uh, bookstores of all their star Wars merch that (laughs) I can uh, make sure that I'm getting books for those particular students and that particular teacher. And those do, those books are 100% the teachers. So if the teacher moves schools, it doesn't stay with the school. It is 100% to that teacher. And it says that in uh, the box that we send. So look out for a friend, look out for a teacher and, uh, yeah, it means a lot. And I, I've, I've had stuff like this uh, given to me, and it makes a really big impact on the students. And uh, it's just super cool. So thank you again to everybody who was a part of that. And, of course, if you want to support our continued efforts there and get some cool content, you know we have our Patreon, which will be in the show notes. But let's go ahead and get into uh, just catching up, because it's been a minute since three of us have sat down and talked. So, Drew, what are you Star Wars in right now? Boy, that, that's been a, a difficult one. I've been thinking about that question kind of all day. It's like, what have I been working on these past like couple of weeks? Because the last time we, you and I were on together, we talked to the the Resistance guys, and we talked through kind of our thoughts on Mandalorian season two in general. And it was really an interesting conversation. It gave me a lot to think about. And I've been listening to the music of season two again. Um, because I, I, one of my comments was that I didn't really care for the way they used the Ahsoka themes and her episode, I thought really wasn't, wasn't as good as some of the other ones with the way they did their musical arrangement. So I went back and listened to the soundtracks kind of isolated, you know, uh, they're available on Spotify, the different albums they are there. And I like the music as it's written, but I, I just wondered 
there's something in the editing, the way the music was used with the the scenes that that didn't sit right with me. So I'm 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 still kind of working on that because I'm not sure I articulated the best way why the Ahsoka episodes music didn't sit well, and so I'm trying to refine that and maybe come up with something a little bit more uh, uh, on the nose than than the way we put it last time because I wasn't convinced I made I, I made a good presentation of that. So I've been really kind of focusing on the music of Star Wars in general and, and trying to think about what I like the most, what I don't is, you know, from time to time, I find myself thinking John Williams probably should just take a break and be done. And he's recorded so much music that it starts to sound the same. But then you go back and listen to you like, man, I want more of this stuff. It's so good. But it's neat to have the different voices of the composers um, that have started being used. And, and, but I don't know that no one, everyone does a lot of work aping John Williams, but nobody really comes to the same kind of quality that he has brought to the saga. It's pretty amazing. I listened to the Clone Wars soundtracks for the first time ever. The Kevin Kiner soundtracks. Yeah, what do you good. think of those? They're different. Um, it's a different medium. And I wonder how... I'd love to get like him to sit down and chat with the guy who did the Mandalorian music, whose name I, I just... Ludwig... There we go. Yes. Academy Award winning composer, you know, unbelievably talented composer and performer. And I'd like to get the two of them to sit down and kind of compare their two things side by side because they're so different. Um, I listened to the, the final season Clone Wars soundtrack that Kiner wrote and all of those pieces either they either sound nothing like anything else or they all sound the same. There's kind of like two categories, like this first category where everything sounds the same and the second category where it doesn't sound like anything else ever used. Like there's the theme for when Ahsoka is burying the clones from the proto star destroyer uh, on the snow planet. I don't even know what planet it's on. Um, but it's a very synth-heavy, Stranger Things-sounding, influenced piece of music. There's no dialogue, so all you're listening to is kind of like the howling winds and then the music. But there's nothing like that in the rest of the season that even comes close to the same production style, and it's very disorienting, which is probably the point. But at the same time, it's not of a whole, and I'm trying to balance those two things in my brain. Like, Normally, I like the things that stand out. I like the things that are different and risky because it shows some creativity, some ingenuity, and some risk-taking. But it doesn't always pay off. And I, I still haven't come to a conclusion whether or not I think that it pays off. Do you guys sit and listen to the Clone Wars soundtracks at all very often? I do, actually. And I always yeah. like hearing your thoughts on it because you have a much better ear than I do. And you're able to articulate oh. a lot more about music than I am. But I get what you're saying where with the Clone Wars stuff, and this is my issue with the Rebels soundtrack too, and it's the same guy who does it, there's really no thematic element. He kind of just throws things at the wall to see what sticks. Hmm. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But it's not like Ludwig Gorison where whether you're listening to Creed, whether you're listening to Mandalorian, anything, you know, Black Panther, anything else that he's done, it kind of has what? what? You said listening to Creed, and I was like, "Why would you be listening to with arms wide open?" And comparing- <laughs> to be fair, I was totally thinking the same thing. I did not. Oh, 
my early high school career came roaring back with a vengeance and i was like this is not okay but what you know what happened? speaking of that creed i feel like that's something where kevin kleiner or whatever his name is in uh clone wars and rebels like that's something he would try you know he has like those rock <laughs> operas that zeb listens to and <laughs> Well, he would try a Creed Star Wars. He would oh, be Nickelback God. of Star Wars. Why? Why Don't speak these things into existence. That's not okay. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. Like, the types of stories that they're telling are so drastically different, right? The movies mm-hmm. are... Um, I mean, for one, you have the movies individually, which are a two-hour chunk of storytelling that somebody's going to sit and watch all at one time, right? Then you also have the nine-part saga that is episodic, but also one, right? Mm. You have that that you can thread things through differently versus uh, Mandalorian, where you are in this age of, uh, you know, people are binging stuff you know so you could kind of do a little bit more themes um you can kind of do motifs that maybe you wouldn't do in like a clone wars because in a clone wars you have you know 20 minutes to tell the story for that week you have 60 to 80 minutes per arc right and you have so many different arcs going on so you have things like ahsoka's theme that thread throughout but then you also have things like um, there's a track called uh, Anakin and Padme. And you would think like, okay, there's a moment where you do a theme that can go every time you see Anakin and Padme, which would absolutely make sense with how people watch Clone Wars now, watching it all the way through. But when you think about how they were watching it in a week-by-week basis, are they getting that, that that is the theme that represents them? Are you hitting that emotional... Uh, gut punch that you need to, you know, or is it better to adjust that based on the scene for that episode for that week? Um, I you know? don't know. I would kind of argue that that makes it more important to have that thematic unifier when you're going week by week and you have all those different story arcs and a shortened time. I think that makes it more crucial. It's, but it's, is it more doable? It, that's that's my oh, thing. I like, think it's more. It is kind of doable, but it is a like you had said before. It's a dramatically different format. I mean, the the cartoon episodes are twenty two minutes long, and three and a half minutes of the well, two and a half minutes of those are credits, and that's always going to be basically the same thing. So if you've got eighteen to nineteen minutes of actual action and you know visuals and storytelling on screen, not all of that is going to be scored every single minute. So you're looking at maybe twelve to fifteen minutes worth of music. The if you are continually using the same singular themes for uh, for a character character or sequence by sequence basis, for example, you know the force has a theme. So every time somebody uses the force in a dramatic uh, moment, they use that. Um, the Imperial March, the you know, Vader have, has a theme. Every time they enter the screen, you hear the same familiar you know chopping on the strings that Williams writes. Um, if you use those same beats every single time that it matches the on-screen action, you're only going to have over an entire 22-episode-long season probably 45 minutes worth of music that you wrote. I don't know that that's a good use of a composer's time. Um, It's more interesting for them to develop things 
Brandon, like you said, for each week as it goes. Now, if they were to take each episode and theme each episode the way that the writing should be doing, then that would be different because now you've got something that when you hear it, you go, aha, that's the such and such episode when this happened. And you can start to tie things like that. And that's what I think Gorenson does for The Mandalorian so well. When you hear certain things, you know exactly the moments that it comes from. And it, sometimes it's tied to a character, but sometimes it's not. And he also does a, a much more interesting, musically, an interesting um, way of referencing older themes, too. Like when uh, Ahsoka is explaining to, the, to Din Djarin about Grogu and the Jedi Orders. And she says, I knew one like him. And you hear just the faintest, you know, three, four, five notes of Yoda's theme weaved into the already playing music. And the trained ear is going to go, oh my gosh, I know exactly what that is. And it sets you. But then you don't hear it for very long, which I think is good because it's enough to say, hey, remember this? We're going to talk about it, but not in the same way because nothing is quite the same. So I like the way that a lot of it is used. Um, because it all comes back from what John Williams did. If you listen to the soundtracks for the movies, there's so much that's not actually used the same way in the films. Like they cut for the film snippets out of the tracks themselves. Like if you listen to the Imperial March on the Empire Strikes Back album, you hear the familiar theme, but then eventually, you know, once it runs through the the main melody one time, it drops back, and you have like the flutes do this little da 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 dum da 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 dum da 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 dum, and the strings start to echo that. You don't hear that in the film the first time the Imperial March plays out. So it's not like somebody said, "Okay, click play on the album," and then you can line up the entire track to the film. It doesn't work that way. And that's interesting to me because what that tells me is that Williams wrote the theme not for the film, but so that it would survive on its own as a musical piece. You could listen to it outside of the film and appreciate it for its entirety, not just what it adds to the film. And I think that's something different that he did that not a lot of composers would have done for the same kind of thing. I think you yeah. hit on something there because with the the Mandalorian, with and even with Clone Wars and Rebels, I can't sit and listen to those. Like... Right. I can't, like, if Mandalorian, uh, you know, if I'm on Pandora or whatever, and the Mandalorian theme comes on, like, that I can listen to. But a lot of it is, it, it's not something that you can just sit and hum a melody to, like you can, you know, the, the films. And it's the same thing with Rebels and Clone Wars. Like, they're these quick, if you look at the track lengths, they're like one to two minutes yeah. like they're not long things so you don't have the time to get into it as a musical piece as you do with Williams and and you know I was kind of thinking about that the fact that like I love the Mandalorian music in context but I can't I can't sit and listen to it all the way like I can't have it just on shuffle you know all day hmm. whereas I can leave you know the Star Wars soundtracks on shuffle all day and be able to see the moments and be able to feel the emotions and stuff like that. So I think yeah. that's something interesting that you hit on where he's looking at it more as um, almost a piece of, uh, you know, classical music that happens to get used for a movie versus, you know, music created for the movie or TV show. Right. Because yeah, like it's, it's, Beethoven it's, it's, and them, they were telling stories with their music. Like you could visualize what's happening, you know, rise of the Valkyrie. You can picture what's happening through the music you know i think williams kind of maybe approached it that way 
Yeah, I think you're right. He definitely was in, in, in more of a mind to compo- compose pieces and tell a story through the music, whereas it seems like Kiner's music is more written to exactly what's going to be on screen. And again, that that's just a decision that they probably made, and it may be a function of the television audience needs it. It needs to be done differently. Maybe, you know, the business scene behind things where like, okay, you have 48 hours. Here's Here's the 18 minutes. We need you to score the entire episode. We need it back in two days. It may just be a function of so many other things that we're not familiar with and don't see. But man, you can hear some of the differences of the way things work when you listen. I was listening to the the season two for the Mandalorian, and it gets to the Boba Fett theme, and I, I had to stop it. I was like, I love this part. It's so fun, and it just feels so different, and it evokes that character so strongly. I absolutely loved it. So that's kind of what I've been doing is, is kind of reevaluating my approach to the music and see if I can come up with anything more interesting. Yeah. It's a it's an interesting dynamic that now that they're branching out and doing so many different kinds of of music and letting so many different people um, interpret well, Star Wars music. Yeah, so many different people. Three. <laughs> well, I mean, it more than the one that was doing it before. That's I mean, true. I mean we, there have been other guys we have for video games and things in the past. John Powell, so we have Michael Giacchino. I mean, but these are, I'm talking like Four. the big productions still. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Lindsay, what about you? What are you into lately? I mean, I don't expect a great conversation like the one Drew just initiated <laughs> with his fantastic answer because mine is oh, going to be pretty lame in comparison um but you know we finally have high republic and oh. even just you know the few stories in i've i've only done a uh, light of the jedi too i'm hoping to get test of courage in um hopefully this weekend but there's a lot <laughs> there's a lot to dive into <laughs> not uh, just in we, terms uh, of story but but the world it's building, the, the galaxy it's building, and then having the new storytellers come in and getting a feel for their style and just thinking of everything that's going to come. Are we allowed to talk about Light of the Jedi on this, or, or do we need to save that for another uh, day? I, I think we'll save it for Don't Burn the Sacred <sighs> Text, but you can give... What are your general thoughts? Like, Lindsay, what are your, what are your general thoughts so far? Uh, optimistic. You know, I... Mm. I don't want to give too much away from what we're going to talk about in don't from the sacred text. Um, but you know, it's, it's wild for me to take Charles soul, who I've been such a huge fan of, of his work and seeing him in this medium. Um, I think that was actually a bigger takeaway than a lot of the story elements for me. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Right, yeah. Right. It was a, I really enjoyed light of the Jedi. Um, I am, about almost halfway through test of courage and it's holding up really well. So I mean, I'm excited and we'll talk about that. We, uh, we're going to record that episode real soon and have it out for you guys. Um, but until then, uh, let's see, what am I star Warsing? I haven't, I've been pretty much been star Warsing the same thing. You know, I've just been really into, uh, light of the Jedi. I actually, um, got the original star Wars game boy game. I found uh, for oh, ten dollars. Nice. Yeah, uh, which was the first Game Boy game that I had. It was the first video game I ever ever owned, like myself. Um, and I remember playing it on my red Game Boy Pocket when I got it for my birthday with that game. Um, and 
just to, to update everybody on my progress, I uh, still have not got past gotten past the Jawas because uh, you cannot save anything on this game. You have to play it all the way through or start over again. Yeah, it's not great. Um, oh goodness. So who knows? Maybe maybe that'll be my adventure this weekend. Is I will waste my day by trying to go through the game all the way but it was it's it's a lot of fun though like it's just it's fun playing like those old games that are you know just the the 2d mario style games where you can just jump and shoot and there's not a whole bunch of complicated stuff that you had to try to figure out uh it's (laughs) it's a good time but they should have definitely had a save function um that was very hard to do because the, the batteries would go dead in those things. And they, they couldn't actually save them. That's what was part of the problem. Do you know what the very first? You know the first video game to have a save function on it was? I do not. Legend of Zelda for the Nintendo Entertainment System. Nice. Had its own built-in battery. Of course, it would go bad after a couple of years, so you'd lose all your games anyway. Well, I mean, I got like a, a quarter of the way through a Pokemon uh, game, and then it was just like. I opened it up the next time and there was nothing there. Not even like a past <laughs> save. So you I have a file corrupted. Uh, it's the worst. The worst. It's so a, funny. The struggle is real. But um, Brooke and I are uh, 56% of the way through Crash Bash 1. So things are things are looking up on that one, um, which is a good <laughs> you time. kids so. with your cloud saving I know. or whatnot. Back in my day, we had an eight megabyte uh, memory card. We had to stick in the front of the PlayStation to save a game. <laughs> we had to wind it up and everything. <laughs> All right. Speaking of save, we're going to take a br- quick break. I'm going to save this conversation, and we are going to come back and talk about some bests and some butts. What do you know about the Force? It's a power that Jedi have that lets them control people and make things float impressive every word in that sentence was wrong lesson one sit here legs crossed the force is not a power you have it's not about lifting rocks it's the energy between all things the tension the balance that binds the universe together okay What is it? Close your eyes. Breathe. Just breathe. Reach out with your feelings. What do you see? The island. Life. Death and decay that feeds new life. Warmth. Cold. Peace. Violence. And between it all. Balance. Energy. A force. And inside you. Inside me, that same force. And this is the lesson. That force does not belong to the Jedi. To say that if the Jedi die, the light dies is vanity. Can you feel that? We are back, and it is time to talk about force abilities and moments. So 
with uh, Light of the Jedi and the High Republic coming out, we kind of wanted to do, uh, take a moment and look back at um, the Force and what we know of it, what um, abilities. I hate saying powers because, well, I'll get why into that. You, why, uh, yeah, I was going to ask, why do you hate saying Force powers? Because people... You coward. Te- you don't no. want a powerful butt? <laughs> This is what it's going to be for the next hour, by the way. (laughs) I'm going to reserve comment on that. Um, People equate powers with strength and being able to overpower things. And as you'll see when I get into my list of best, like that's not what I think the Force is about. I don't think the Force is about making people strong and being able to allow them to do crazy superhero like acts it does that but i think when you say power it misconstrues it as like superhero style power uh whereas if you say abilities it's more of to go to the you know the dave filoni uh analogy of bruce lee you know abilities are more something that you can hone and find and um use them for a purpose uh, more so than we normally talk about when we say power. So it's more of the dynamic and ideology that it creates across the fandom of like, who's the most powerful. It's like, that's not the point of the Jedi. Like you can mm. talk about, you know, who has the coolest abilities and stuff like that, but like literally watch the prequels. It's not about who's the most powerful because the most powerful falls, the most powerful fails, the most powerful master of all time ends up being the one that leads them to their downfall. The most powerful Jedi of all time is the one that leads them to their destruction. Like it's, it just creates a narrative that I'm not a huge fan of. So you kind of see that as I go through my list, Okay, but we're going to, um, just for basics, this is going to be similar to our top three, bottom three, where the best are going to be the things that we enjoy and the butts are going to be the things that we don't enjoy. Um, they're not going to be good butts. So let's start at the end with the butts and that way we can finish with the best. So Drew, I'm going to send it to you first. What is your first butt? Okay, so I have to, we have to talk about how we categorize these first because what makes it a best, what makes it a butt? Um, my butts were all going to be things that when you first encounter them, you go, oh, come on. Are you kidding me? That kind of reaction of like uh, channeling your inner Han Solo and that's not how the Force works. Um, things that are ridiculous, things that stand out as, okay, this is just contrived or this is here to make things look cool. And I would like to point to exhibit A, butt number three on the list. And for butt number three, we must go to The Force Unleashed, which was a video game that came out a number of years ago. And I would like to introduce you to the Lightning Grenade. What is the Lightning Grenade? It's an attack that the uh, protagonist of the Force Unleashed games uses. And what he does is he uses the Force to grab a thing, usually a stormtrooper, shoot Force Lightning at it, throw the thing at another group of things, usually more stormtroopers, and then the first stormtrooper would then explode when it comes in contact with things. So it's taking an object, again, usually a stormtrooper, and turning it into a bomb with forest lightning. Is it fun to do in the game? Yes. Is it ridiculous? Absolutely. And that's kind of like, like 
there's no way this would ever exist in any other Star Wars property. Now, I know when we're talking about something like the Force Unleashed, the whole idea behind the game was what happens if we take the idea of the Force and make it do ridiculous things. And that was fun. It was a lot of fun. But it has no place in any other Star Wars entry ever. And that's kind of what makes it interesting. Um, It's ridiculous amongst a whole host of things that that game does that are ridiculous. And it's one of the, it's when you see it, and again, when you do it, it's funny. It's hilarious because you're this poor little guy who just reported to duty that morning, who thought it was going to be a normal shift, ends up killing several of his comrades because he explodes in lightning. It's it's amazing. But it's also the worst. That is, (laughs) that is literally like the epitome of what I was just talking about of like, exactly. Like it's just the force can do these really strong things. Yeah, um, well, I think not the, a fan. The premise, yeah, the premise behind the game was it can do a lot of cool things. Like, yeah, like let's make this as unbelievable as I. I'm working under a theory that the Force Unleashed series and instance, you know, there's the it had a direct sequel and there were novels around the the games. I think it did more damage to the Star Wars universe then it did actually helped anything along, but I'm working on replaying those books and rereading or replaying the games and rereading the books to see if that actually bears out. Because I feel like we have a lot of issues when we talk to different Star Wars fans, especially Brandon, like you said, when people want to compare who's the strongest, who's the most powerful. I think a lot of that stems from and was given credence uh, through the Force Unleashed project and to, to the detriment of the Star Wars community. Yeah, I... I would agree claim. on that. I don't know if it's the worst thing that ever happened, but it certainly stands out in my mind as kind of like a benchmark of like, okay, from here, this, because here's, here's the reason I say that. It kind of legitimized the, the value of those kinds of conversations, you know? It kind of took them out of the realm of, okay, that's a childish idea and elevated to, okay, now serious players in this, in this universe have to contend with this issue of the fact that the Force can do these wackadoodle things. Well, and I mean, that's part of like why that that narrative that I was talking about is there is you had these games and you had things in the EU and and stuff where you needed to draw people in with something that wasn't going to be a Star Wars movie. Like I get where it came from, but it did. It created this narrative of, you know, where being able to do really cool things and really strong things made you this awesome thing. And so when you have I mean it's why I I think that is kind of why Ryan Johnson said when he was making the last Jedi that he kind of felt like he needed to do a, uh, not a re a reset on the force, but kind of a reminder of what the force was really about because yeah, absolutely. And I think it really was very helpful to have that because it crystallized a lot of the issues people had been kind of dealing with, but mm -hmm. not really able to analyze and understand what the difference, where the difference came from, you know, it kind of was that, not shrinking it down, like you said, not resetting what it can do, but refocusing on the importance of it. Because if you go back and watch like the classic trilogy, like A New Hope, the Force doesn't do but like two, maybe three things. And they're very small. Like they're not big action adventure MCU style piece, you know, centerpieces where everybody focuses. It's not Captain America calling Mjolnir and swinging lightning around anymore. That's not what the Force, that's not how it works. Yeah, I mean, the biggest acts of the Force in the original trilogy, I guess you could say Luke uh, with the Death Star, um, Yoda lifting the the X-Wing, and 
maybe you could make the argument for uh you know luke and leia being able to talk or uh vader and luke being able I mean, to communicate across the galaxy yeah 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 um I, are we going to talk about that does anybody have force go somewhere in their list i don't No. okay how do you guys feel about those in general this too inconsistent for me Aha. And I think that it's something they've done a really good job of cleaning up in the past, we'll say, year and a half, two years. Really? In terms of, yeah, really in terms of, um, what's it called, from a certain point of view. And, like, how you uh, need the certain training to do it. Qui-Gon was kind of the fir- first one to unlock it, blah, blah, blah. I think they've realized, like, it creates more of an issue than it does help. Yeah. It's kind of like um, in Heir to the Empire. It's, you know, Timothy Zahn had to basically have been like just yeet out. He was like, uh, yeah, I can't help you anymore because it was like, well, if there's a force ghost there, they can do whatever. So yeah, based on what we have in the films um, and... And the Clone Wars, because Yoda does a lot yeah. in the final season thing. Well, to me, not well, the final season. Well, I mean more so in like the when they appear to people when they're actually a force okay. ghost, not how so much how they become it. To me, they come in times of great need, and it's more the force making a manifestation of somebody that you would trust. You know, it's why uh, Yoda is the uh. one to appear. It's 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 a yes, they're they're maintaining their their consciousness. I think that that's true at the same time, but I don't think they can just pop up wherever they want. I think they show up in times of great need. Um, and they are the, I guess in between almost for, uh, the, the Jedi and the force, you know, being able to talk directly because Qui-Gon in master and apprentice, the short story in the, a new hope certain mm-hmm. point of view is very much, you know, he feels himself forming. He, uh, you know, talks about time all happening at once and not at all. And all of that, you know, kind of heavy stuff you get when you're talking about something like a force ghost. But I really yeah. go back to the idea that the force forms him so that Obi-Wan can talk to him, you know, before Obi-Wan goes off to, to train Luke and stuff like that. So, that's why I come down on that. But Lindsay, okay. what about you? What's your what's your first butt? Yeah, um, I will say too. I kind of picked mine the same way Drew you did yours, where it's not necessarily you know like the biggest issue where it's causing any big hindrance in the story. It's just more of the like really this <laughs> seems this seems like an easy out here um, for me. I think my my first butt is actually more of like a personal pet peeve, but it's something that Jason Solo does in one of the books. I can't even remember which one, but like he basically is getting hypothermia and he puts on like a force jacket. And I looked it up. It's actually called Tapas, which infuriated me more because I love Tapas. <laughs> and, <laughs> but, but to me, it's almost like the, I have this pet peeve where up here in the Northeast, I hate when people complain that it's cold out because (laughs) 
granted, like you Southern boys, if you want to complain it's cold and you whoa, don't have a jacket, whoa. fine. Time out. Fine. One of us, one of us was raised in the South. The other one of us just had to move here for family. Okay, let's be clear. So you that. probably know what I'm talking about because for I me, know what it's you're like talking about. Hey guys, we live in the Northeast. It gets to negative 10 degrees at some point every single year. You know it's coming. Maybe invest in a jacket. Like <laughs> People complaining that it's cold here is just a really big annoyance for me. So to now have the Jedi be like, look, we can just have a force jacket when we want, but we're not going to use it all the time. Oh, God, it infuriates me. <laughs> I'm trying to remember which book that's from because I know the sequence you're talking about. You right, and it's killing me. At some at some point, all like the new Jedi Order books kind of just all blend together. Careful, that's some of my favorite stories. Right? Oh no, they're good. They're good. But I'm saying it's it's any series for me. You know, at some point, any even the new Thrawn series, I have trouble differentiating from at some point. Wow. Yeah. I think as ridiculous as force grenades being. and throwing stormtroopers and blowing them up is that's how just useless and stupid a force jacket is. Yeah. Cause like when else are you going to need it? Oh yeah. wow. Look, we're never going to talk about this one little thing that Jedi can do until it's going to save Jason Solo's life. And suddenly it's like, <laughs> of course the force can do this. Why, why wouldn't it be able to? Yeah, That's where you wrote yourself into a corner and you didn't know how to get out. <laughs> exactly. Um, so for me, I kind of am somewhat the opposite of how you guys approached it. Uh, for me, I focused on things that I thought were detrimental to how the force should be perceived, um, or created problems, um, with the story itself and, and really the presentation of the force. And the first one that I have, um, is, it's something that I talked about when we reviewed Mando season two, and it's the the force being able to leave a person, um, which is is more of a recent addition. But in just to kind of refresh, in the Jedi, Ahsoka basically says that the force leaves someone who doesn't use it. This straight up goes against the nature of the force, and it also just makes no damn sense. Um, <laughs> if she said now, if she said something about him not being as skilled in the force, like okay, I can get that. If you don't use a skill, you won't be as good at it the next time you do it. Like, no problem. Got that. The problem lies in the fact that it is established that the Force has a will. Thus, if it's leaving a person, it is choosing to do so. But that then begs the question of why the Force chose that being in the first place. No, it, it doesn't. Yes, it, it doesn't. It's, re- it doesn't it's, force that question. It is clear that the Force is all times at once. So how does it mess that up? How, who says it's a mess up? You're presuming that someone shutting themselves you, off is also not part no, of no, the No, 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 no. I'm Wait, not. No, I'm I think not, you're talking about two different things. Well, you're talking Drew, about two different things. I think things. You're, talking about, you're talking about Luke in The Last Jedi, whereas B, you're talking more about Ahsoka saying this in The Mandalorian. In The Mandalorian. Cutting yourself off the, from the Force, that I get. That that I'm cool with. I think that that works a hundred percent. But for the force it's to be the like, force, yeah, like no more. Yeah, it's the force like for fading away. For the force away. to be the the one to break up with you, pretty much. Because here's here's the thing. Like it it creates a a, a lot of issues. Is this the, is this the Creed version? 
Oh, I could do that. Well, no, I can't do that. Please don't do that for our all of our sakes. The force has left me. <laughs> Where's the string section version? I need that one to back. <laughs> oh man! All right. So yeah. no, that's a solid annoyance, though. No, I just I disagree with with. Okay, her so then how flat th- out refusal to accept what she said? Here's here's the thing. <laughs> How long does it take the force to leave? How much really do you have question. to use it to maintain it? Uh, really must question. you be conscious of the of your use of the force to maintain it? Like, there's. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, does it change by species? Does it change based on how the force is feeling that day? Like, oh. if they've had a bad day and like their check is late, the force's check had is late. A bad like, are they? Day again. All right, we're moving on. Because um, it's just evolving. The fact, that, the fact that there are questions about how the force works is not new, and the fact that I'm not saying that. But he's, I'm saying his gripe is with the answer. His gripe is with the answer, not the question. No, 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 no. no, no. My he's gripe is with the illogical the ability of it. No, 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 no. Okay, couple. There's a couple things we have to outline here. First off, the fact that there okay. are questions that we do not have the answers to does not mean that a there are not answers out there, and b it does not mean that the underlying principles are illogical. That's the reason we have so much an issue with voter misinformation in the past month or two. Just because <laughs> you don't know the answer does not mean that someone does or that there is an answer out there, okay? Those are not the same things. So the fact that there are questions raised as, as a response to what, she, to what Ahsoka said is actually par for the course if you think about Star Wars over the past 50 years. Every time somebody says something wackadoodle like that, it, it leads to a ton of questions. And we get some information years on down the road. Like we had... There's, for how many years did people argue the fact that Grey Jedi could be a thing until two things happened? One, the Bendu appeared and threw everything into complete chaos. And number two, everyone who points, pointed to Qui-Gon Jinn as a, as a possible Grey Jedi, Master and Apprentice actual novel comes out and he says, I serve the light because it is the light. Okay, the fact that there are questions about what she said in The Mandalorian does not necessarily mean that there's terrifyingly horrible consequences as a result thereof. Are those legitimate questions? Absolutely. Does it reflect the fact that we don't know enough about the Force at all? Yes, I completely agree with you. There's all kinds of things, but the fact that it's turning you off to that idea is not fair to the idea. Um, I understand that you don't like it because it makes it, it, it because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to presume something here so you can tell me if I'm wrong. It's like it makes you uncomfortable with that idea. I don't think that's a good enough reason to discount the fact that the idea could, could be accurate. It's not, I I don't need the answer to everything. I like the mystery of the force, but if the force has a will, then why is it giving itself to this person who's not going to use it just to go away? It's, it's a illogical ideology. This is something that I know we don't want to get into any spoilers with High Republic, and I don't see this as a spoiler. Uh, but it is one of those things that they address that might raise more questions and come up with more, <laughs> pun intended here, rebuttals hey, hey. for what's already been established. And that is that they make it very clear in the High Republic that the Force is in all living things. Mm-hmm. And you can pull from all living things to all be one with the Force. So for you to say, okay, you know, when we say the force is going to be in all living things, except these ones who don't deserve it, like who's getting coal in their stocking? Just tell me. Yeah, exactly. All right. If you, no, 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 no. We're going to move on. We're going to move on. <laughs> okay. 
Sure. Uh, I'm let's... totally going to allow that idea. <laughs> <laughs> let's go to the best, Drew, and Jeez. give us your first best. Okay. Do you remember how I said all those things in the video games were crazy and wackadoodle? I'm going to go ahead and use one as <laughs> my examples of the best. <laughs> Oh, speaking um, of hypocrisy. No, because this, this one didn't start in a game. It actually comes from The Phantom Menace. I think Ooh, I know that, what it's going to be. What do you think it's going to be? Is it going to be Force Speed? Yes! Oh, I, thought it. Was gonna, I thought he was going to say Force Wigs. I, <laughs> <laughs> I really love the dash move. I, I think it is really interesting and very it's like one of those basic tools in the toolbox of the jedi on the go and i think it's something that i wish had existed in the classic trilogy i think that obi-wan not teaching it to luke is criminal it would have made his life so much easier if if homeboy could just kind of zip forward like 20 feet in the blink of an eye like can you imagine how much easier his life would have been on bespin specifically if he could have just been like no no no, i'm good wow yeah over there like, it's kind of a simple thing, and they don't use it that much in in the films, like at all. Like they use it there. They use it um, that one time on Neb- the on Trade the Federation, Federation ship. ship, yeah. And like, why? Like, I would do that all the time. Like that would so, be my primary mode of transportation, right? And but the, the crazy thing is, you don't see a lot of consequence to using it either. Like, there's not like it. It doesn't seem. It's not like they're tired toxic. after. The only thing I would be concerned about would be like running into walls and things. Like if you go too fast and too short of a hallway, you just kind of mm. poof right into the end of it. Hey, that would Drew, be I think you mean if you go too fast and too furious. Too furious. Hey. <laughs> so good. So good. Oh, I hate how much I love you guys sometimes. Um, that Palpatine, I think, questionably uses it in the third one. Uh, oh, you're right. Yeah. Revenge kind of the Sith. Of. Like kind of like when he like jumps at Mace Windu and Kate uh, Kit F- Kate Fisto. That's his. his wife. That's his sister. You're thinking Kate Beckinsale with all the butts, oh. aren't you? <laughs> See, I wasn't gonna go there. Okay, <laughs> that's between you and me. But yeah, like the way he kind of jumps out of his Senate seat at at them could be kind of like the same kind of dash. It doesn't have the same motion blur that Obi Wan and Qui Gon got back in Episode One, but how I don't really know you can explain that old, old man quick motion like that in any other kind of way. But I, I really like that. It's such a useful tool um, that I seriously don't understand why they wouldn't use it more. I love it. It's Um, I think in, in the Bane trilogy, I think he uses it and it kind of like, it drains him for a while. Does it? I think so. Remember that could be wrong. We may have to, we may have to hit up Zach on that one. Uh, all right, Lindsay, what do you got? Oh, man. Um, I know which one I kind of wanted to start with, but now that we're talking about the Bane trilogy, I oh. actually really love the kind of force thought bubble where people can, everyone can come together, and this is something where I think we're going to see more of in time to come. But just getting all these force users to like combine their power for a common goal. Oh, I think it was really well yeah. done in the Bane trilogy, but I think also just everything that it could potentially open up in the future is going to be really cool to say. Can we, can we talk about the cloud sequence in Light of the Jedi? Uh, yeah, yeah. Let we'll, we're going to have just spoilers. Real, just for- really, really quick. I freaking loved that part. <laughs> yeah. Me too. Me too. Okay, good. Okay, that's all Big I want to know. Yeah. Well, okay. because, I mean, 
that is one of my best on the list too. It's not that particular moment, but Ooh. is the idea of the way that the force can connect people. Um, yeah, yeah, and I that's kind of what prompted me. Soon, yeah. I think because because that you know scene we'll call it in Light of the Jedi was top of mind. I I wanted to find a way to work it into this list without spoiling anything. Um, totally heavy. And I thought that the thought bubble in the Bane trilogy was kind of the, the closest that we had seen. Oh, I'm sorry. You were trying to be clever and we just kind of ruined it. My bad. <laughs> no, because I, I don't think we ruined I don't think we gave any big spoiler. Well, and, and I, it, think, it's, it's I think cool there's a to me there. to see how. Well, that's just it. I like seeing the the thought that the dark and the light side were at some point using the same powers, but in mm. very different ways. I think that's going to be an interesting thing to explore as the, uh, the high Republic goes on. And I think it takes the idea of battle meditation and makes it actually make sense for what the Jedi are, you know, that the idea of together we can achieve more. And so mine was kind of the dyad slash ability for people to connect in the force and the way that that kind of increases, um, the, ability, the ability of people to achieve said goal. So like mm. Ben and Ray as a dyad show that the force can work in more ways than one because the balance was brought when Anakin returned to the dark side a hundred percent. But you have both members of the dyad who swing pretty wildly from dark to light and even like they flip roles in the narrative. But when they learn to trust each other fully balance is able to be restored again. And we've seen the, I guess the effort to create that connection that a dyad has in both Sith and Jedi, um, the Sith through the rule of two and then the Jedi through their master and apprentice kind of structure. But those relationships are a hierarchy where the dyad is not. And so I think when you get the high Republic, yes, Avarkris is the head of making, she's the one making the connection. She would be the top of the pyramid, if you will. But She's not controlling everybody. She's not running everything. She's not, you know, taking everything in through her. She is connecting everybody as equals to make them all able to achieve more. And so um, I think that's just really, really cool. I also think that that um, there is the uh, how how much do I want to say? I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I think we are going to see the dyad that has been unseen for generations that Palpatine talks about in the High Republic. Yeah. Um, uh, if you yeah. if you have read it, you may you probably have an idea of who I'm talking about, and if you haven't, then keep that in mind as you're reading it. But <laughs> I like the the idea of creating a network of Jedi to achieve the ability or achieve the uh, purposes of the light. So. That's mine. Nice. All right. So more to say on that later. Okay. All right. Um, I'm actually a lot of mine weave in and out together. Um, There's a lot of of, uh, hopefully nuance in there. Maybe I'm just saying the same thing over and over again, but we'll find out until then, Drew, give us a, give us your next, butt. okay. Number two, but um, this one's going to come from the Disney side of of, uh, the star Wars universe. Um, this was only, as far as I could tell, it was only mentioned one time, and it comes from Empire's End. 
Um, and it's the shatter point. I think this is probably one of the silliest things anyone's ever used to describe the Force. But there's a moment where the book is talking about Palpatine sensing what is referred to as, again, a shatter point. And literally, it's defined as an ability to sense the significance of an event. And the significance, the significant event he sensed at that particular moment is when the shuttle Tidarium lands on Endor. He's sensing basically the arrival of Luke to you know the Endor system. And the whole idea of him sensing something monumental like that, which is really just plot movement, it's just story movement, things are happening, like, yeah, it's a big thing. We all kind of know it because we saw it happen. You don't need the Force to know that. In fact, Vader sensed the presence of his son on the ship, and it's not called a shatter point. The idea that characters can sense monumental moments inside of their own history feels incredibly dumb because I don't think it adds anything to anything. Um, no plans were changed. Uh, you know, every, Palpatine later says everything is proceeding exactly as I have foreseen. The events have transpired as exactly as I have allowed them. You know, I was the one who allowed the shuttle to pass. He has control of all these things. If it's such a monumental moment in history that it literally stands out like a beacon in the night, why didn't it get more attention from him and why wasn't it more important? And also, why is that the one thing that makes the biggest difference? Like, we have the loss of life on the scale of trillions and that doesn't make a difference. Like, there's so many moments I would have rather had pointed people to or pointed Jedi to and say, is, does this count as a shatter point that it just, if it, it's such a throwaway, but such a dumb little thing to do, it adds nothing to it and really doesn't change anything, but just makes him feel like some corner. It, 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 it makes Palpatine appear more closer to the term omniscient than he actually is. He is not omniscient. He does not know all things everywhere. He is not omnipresent. He, he, he it's, it doesn't work that way. Again, that's really not how the Force works. We'll use the Force. That's not how the Force works. We're supposed to believe that there's some kind of tripwire alarm that went off and, and suddenly he senses... I mean, the way you describe it, too, it's not even just that, like, he senses something happens. It's almost like he has, like, a Force Richter scale. He's like, ah, yes, a level four significance. <laughs> ah, 7.1. I better go, ah. I don't know, up the guard a little bit. Meh. Like, I, I just don't, it doesn't do anything for me. Because it doesn't play any kind of role. It doesn't change his actions or his thoughts or his concerns. He doesn't alter the plans at all. Nor does it reinforce his plans. Like, he's not going, aha, this is the moment I was thinking about and planning for for the past 30 years. It, it doesn't work that way. So, again, yeah. the question is asked, what's the point? Well, and even if you go to the Shatterpoint book, uh, you know, the Shatterpoint ability doesn't really do much for Mace Windu. Like, you have him realizing that he's the one that needs to go, but you could have done that by just going, this is the planet that I'm from, the Force is leading me back here. Like you don't need this contrived force power to get you there. Right. And then there, and that it's, happened, it's that in the conclusion of... too, um, you know, where he decides to follow a certain path because of the shatter point. But again, you can have the, the force just tell you that, you know, we have right. it in a uh, test of courage, right. like no spoilers for that, but there's a, something that the force tells a Jedi to do. That is uh, not the traditional way of doing things and she 
feels like she cannot not do it. And right, th- right. it's not like a, this is going to, ch- she literally is like, I don't know why the force is having me do this, but I'm going to keep my faith in the force that it's leading me down the right path. That's one. It builds the faith side of the force a whole lot better. And two, you know, I think that kind of cures the, the issues of the shadow right. that you're bringing up there. Right. Because I think the, the main issue that it kind of highlights for me is the fact that so often inside the texts that we read, they, they name, they give special names and like you said, abilities or powers to things that the force would just do on its own. Um, kind of like Lindsay, like you said, the force jackets, like, okay, you could have just described that as like movement of molecules to create. Yeah. There's things like, cause I was, I was searching like, okay, what, what do people think are some of the, the weirdest or craziest force powers out there? And one of them has to do with like force memory fogging. And f- one of them was like force dizziness where you use the force to create dizziness inside of another being. And it's like, okay, why is that a power? Why is that something you decided to give a name to? Why is that not just an application of the force on another being? Like, if, when I think back to, this may not be the best reference, but in the, the old Star Wars card game, there were three force abilities, basically. There's control, sense, and alter. Actually, okay, not the card game, but the role-playing game from, you know, that they had in late 90s, early aughts. Um, you had skills, in, you had basically values, how well you were trained in control, sense and alter and everything you wanted to do with the force was based on one of those three attributes and i like that kind of simplicity because it, it's kind of a, a reflection of the simplicity of the force while it is it, it is at the same time small and simple and and easy to understand it is also huge and wide and has facets and all these different things but they can always be boiled down to their core elements of control sense and alter Similarly, those three sense, the, those three elements of control, sense, and alter can be expanded to do so many things within the, the you know the toolbox of the Jedi or the Sith, respectively. I like that approach, and the shatter point to me is just a a, a very specific fine slice of how you would use sense, because it's basically I've sensed something the same way Obi Wan senses you know a great disturbance in the Force around the de- the destruction of Alderaan. That's what we're talking about. That's a mile marker in the Force's existence because you have the immediate extinguishing of trillions of life forms, all of whom have presumably midichlorians upon which the the will of the Force can be transferred to and fro. So that's the kind of thing, like, if we had kept it simple, you don't have to name every single stinking little ability that people use the Force for. Yeah. End of rant. I I can't disagree with that at all. Yes! Here, here. People say that. All right, Lindsay, you're up. Number two. All right, I'm just gonna say it and potentially get yelled at. Um, flying through space. Stop it. Yep. Said it. <sighs> meant it. Looked stupid. Was stupid. I feel like they also explained in Light of the Jedi why that shouldn't be possible. So that's another plus for that book. I don't. Whoa, No, they don't remember they, that. They definitely said why it could be possible, but not for long. Oh, you're talking about. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Or well, with the yeah. leg. We'll we'll debate that on Don't Break the Sacred Text. Go ahead, continue. <sighs> you you I mean, feel I'm, bad for this decision, <laughs> Lindsay. I don't. I don't. I think it just <laughs> looked bad. I think the Superman pose was unnecessary. I think <laughs> I just don't think it's a good addition to what the Force can do. 
Brandon, let's just move on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, if, only, if only some of us have written 8,000 word articles about that very moment. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> hmm. How, do you, how do you feel knowing you were wrong? Uh, I, you go back and read and see what that person thought, whoever it may be. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I will do mine, um, and my really disappointed. <laughs> I knew you would be. <laughs> my next but is I am all the Sith. Um, this this is another situation where the issue is where does it end? If someone can transfer their spirit, particularly in the briefest moment that Palps does at the end of Return of the Jedi, according to the, the Rise of Skywalker novel, he just yeets out of there right into another body right before he died. Death starts losing <laughs> its meaning. Palpatine is dead now at the end of Rise of Skywalker, right? But he's died before. How do, I, how do you know he doesn't have more clones? How do you know he didn't transfer his spirit into Rey? Like, I know it didn't happen because it's the end of the saga, but it didn't happen before, and it did. So... It's messy. And I don't I'm not against the idea of transferring spirits in and of itself. I, I've talked a lot about and written about numerous times my idea of Ben living on in Ray and him actually transferring his spirit in there and combining the dyad. But that's a selfless act. It's one that one does when passing into the force. The idea that all of the Sith live in one being is uh, one, it's creepy, and uh, two, it just it's it's messy storytelling wise. Uh, so I, I didn't interpret it that as an actual force ability. I, I thought it was supposed to be more just boasting, like well, as if, as if you, like if he was telling the truth. Like if we had like a translator side by side, it would have actually read, "I am the culmination of all the Sith." Not necessarily, the, "I am literally all the spirits of all the Sith in the past combined into one body." Because that is goofy. But that's what that's what the Rise of Skywalker novel to me is telling us to believe if he can transfer really? his spirit to a oh, clone no. if he's trying to transfer his spirit into Ray, like Palpat literally in the movie Palpatine is trying to transfer his spirit into Ray so that Ray can take the throne because he needs a body that can handle hit the dark his dark side powers so if he's doing that like he learned like, it from I somewhere feel like what you really want is like an arrested development where he's like I am all the Sith and you just want like the Ron Howard voiceover to be like, he was not actually all the Sith. Yeah. Like, but like even going back to the Bane trilogy, like he, like he trans, there's like the question, which in the Bane trilogy, it works. Cause you're left with the question of like, did he actually transfer his spirit into his apprentice or, uh, you know what? But no, the text is very clearly saying this is all of the Sith living in Palpatine. So is your objection the kind of like the population of spirits within the body Palpatine or is your objection how easily they move from one spot to another? I'm, I'm confused. My now. objection is when you allow for that to happen. Allow what to happen? I'm confused these, as to what that it means. Them to transfer their consciousness from one body to another. When said body dies... Okay. Why am I supposed to believe that that 
character is dead? Why am I supposed to believe that that evil is defeated? Like, it takes away... No, no, no. I, I get that, because so, that's actually one of my issues with Game of Thrones, where it's like, guys, if people are dead, just... Leave them dead. They're dead. dead. Like, you can't, you can't just, like, bring them back when it's convenient for you, but then every other death actually matters. Yeah. I mean, it's like, hmm... Because if he can do it once, if he's powerful enough to do it once, then what's to say he's hasn't done it again and we're going to get episode 12 with the re-return of Palpatine? Like, it's the, exactly. it's the problems that it creates with the narrative more than it is the actual ability itself. But, so you're, why don't you, but you say that Ben, you believe that Ben transfers his own life essence into Ray somehow, but does that not bother you as well? Like, how is that different from what Palpatine does? Because Palpatine is using it as a means to gain power, whereas Ben is using it with compassion, with selflessness. He's, he is not taking her body. He is giving his. So then, by that extension, you would not be okay if they ever tried to bring Ben Solo back post-Rise of Skywalker. For the very same reason, you'd not be happy about another Palpatine clone. I would because. <laughs> yeah. No, hold on. I'm trying to figure out the right way to say it. <sighs> He's really on the edge of his butt right now. Be- no, yeah, I'm on the edge of yeah. Um, because we see, we see Ben fade into the Force, so his physical existence is taken by the Force as well. Which to me reads differently than Palpatine's body being destroyed, being thrown down in the pit or being thrown down. Like, Ben gave his life. So if the Force decides to give it back to him, to me that's different than Palpatine clinging to life by taking over something else. Right? And it's more so, again, it's like, it's more the idea of these are stories of hope. And so if you have the bad guy being able to just jump from one body to another whenever it's convenient, then how, how am I to believe that he's actually gone? And thus, how am I to believe in the hope of the heroes? Okay. It's that, that it creates more than the actual, like he trend because I mean, that I can get on, that I can get on board with. Thematically, it undoes what these films have historically been ultimately about. Right. And and that I can get behind you with. It does absolutely offend that particular sensibility. I just I don't know. In in, in what is it? The Dark Empire comics from th- 25 years ago. I think so, ago, yeah. He had, you know, Palpatine has a host of clone bodies just kind of chilling waiting yeah. for his sp- like that has been a known thing for a long time and part of that that saga was to go and find the find out where they were and and destroy them in order in order to ultimately end the threat like cloning has been a part of star wars since 77 so i don't know that it should particularly surprise anybody that it was used as a a major point of storytelling albeit unbelievably unwieldy i I mean i i am not in a camp of people who appreciate that element of rise of skywalker but it makes sense within the context of their universe to me like maybe and maybe again maybe that's just because we I've seen it so many times before. Yeah. This is not the first time we've had the threat of Palpatine come back. He comes back like every other week it seems like for a <laughs> long time. 
He's like the IG-88 of uh, Darkseid. Careful. Yeah. No. No. Yeah. No. Have uh, we not talked about this? There were four different IG... We had this conversation, right? We have. Yeah, we okay, definitely good. have. All it's right. not a clone. It's a <laughs> robot. It's different. Like, there's blueprints online. Never mind. We don't have time for this. All right. So, uh, on to the best. And, Drew, I think that leads it to you. Okay. So, I was going to talk about battle meditation here. Because I wrote... Well, uh, speaking the, of being wrong about something... <laughs> what? You guys just spent like 20 minutes waxing philosophical. How about how much you loved everybody coming together with your, your thought bubbles? No, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. I like this because... <laughs> I like this because it, it gives a sense of like um, we are greater as a team than we are individually. And it works for both the good guys and the bad guys. You know, Palpatine coordinating things at Endor. There's a lot of talk about how once Palpatine... Uh, again, quote unquote, died, that the Imperial admirals and everybody else who was left fell apart. Like their strategies fell apart, formations fell apart. And the idea was that he was holding them together in the context of the battle itself. He was orchestrating it, the actions of the different ships. I think it's the Thrawn trilogy that talks about this because Thrawn made sure he had his own Jedi backing him up, the the mad clone Joris Saboth. I like that idea of having one person who kind of coordinates um, the actions of smaller teams in order to accomplish a larger goal. And when uh, Saint Avar Chris does it uh, at the beginning of a light, uh, the Light of the Jedi, which I think is in the, the preview chapter, so I'm, I don't think we're spoiling anything, her application of the Force is wonderful. Every I, She is my favorite character in that whole story like the first time we meet her like i was like yep this 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 is my girl i'm a fan um and her interaction with the force and the way she thinks about it musically and how everyone's playing a part and she's listening for notes and who's in trouble and how do we help them out and she refocuses i absolutely love the way that it's written i love the implications i love the applications um, I think is one of the most interesting things you could do with the force is that coordination and orchestration of a large scale conflict. Uh, it's so much fun. Here's my issue with the battle meditation as it's presented in legends is it's to me, it's presented as one person controlling everything. Whereas what you talked about with Avar Chris is more presented as unifying the people. Right. And, and yeah. to look, to use the musical, like, kind of thing it's like avar chris is creating an orchestra that she just happens to be the one who is conducting it like whereas battle meditation is more like it's more like tommy lee doing a drum solo in the middle of a motley crew concert and you just like you lose all the meaning of everything else it's really cool to see him go in the cage and you know drum upside down and stuff like that but it's you know you're out of the song now you're in something different than what you're actually supposed to be two things number one i think that that distinction is interesting because it depends on good guy versus bad guy. Good guy uses it in a teamwork-based unification, like you said, the conductor of the orchestra, who is simply observe. Not well, they are both observing, they are directing, and they are um, giving instruction. the The dark side version of that, I, I think I have a different analogy. It's the guy. It, it's um, it's dead mouse, and here's what I mean by that. He mm-hmm. is putting every single track into his you know, Pro Tools and Ableton and all the programs he uses to create his music. No individual instrumentation. 
There's no performers behind those instruments. It's one man who's not just controlling, but has specifically designed and is manipulating the things to do what he want, he or she wants them to do. And that is the difference that manipulation versus conduction is, is, is the difference between the dark side and the light side of the force application. That's kind of what makes it interesting because both can be used to create something that is, you know, that's the goal. Like the conductor does it to create this large orchestration and this piece where, you know, 80, 80 people get together and create this massive movement of music that is greater than if any one performer was on stage by themselves. The dark side user uses it still to create a piece to, you know, as, as an end, as a means to his end, to his goal. It just has such a darker purpose. Not to say that Dead Mouse is a dark side user. He, eh, it could be. But I, I think that's kind of the difference between them is, is one of them is encouraging of teams and one of them is manipulation of individuals. There in lot, that distinction is interesting to me. I can get behind that. I was super curious where you were going with that analogy, but I love where we landed. <laughs> yeah. That was a yeah, fun was, journey. I'm just making things up now. <laughs> it worked. It worked. All right, Lindsay, what do you got? Uh, I actually really love in every single medium that we've had it, whether it is the book that it started out in, the video games, or eventually the movies, uh, psychometry. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, and that is the ability to touch an object and be able to sense or have visions of what that object has been through. Um, You know, we saw it in Dark Disciple. We saw it in, I actually think, parts of the Battlefront 2 game and obviously in um, Jedi Fallen Order. And then, of course... Yes, in Force Collector as well, and obviously uh, Ray does it in Force Awakens. And I think every single time it's done, it's done really well. I like that it's something that some Jedi excel in. You know, it's like playing any kind of sport or any kind of instrument. You're going to have some people who do certain things better. Um, So the fact that this can't be overused and it's not just used in the purpose to really drive stories forward, you know, that's something Dark Disciple especially does really well, where it's not just like, oh, my God, wouldn't it be great if we could do this? And then it happens. You know, there's kind of these odd examples of Quinlan Voss doing it here and there. Um, So I just think that the, the way it's always been done has been really good. And then, of course, just the power itself is just really cool. Nice. Yeah. Pick. That's a good one. Thank you. It's a Thank it's you. a really good storytelling um, aspect, you know, because there's it's not just that they can pick up anything and get whatever they want out of it. Like there, yeah, there's boundaries to it, you know. Yeah. Like Quinlan sometimes can't see things as clearly as he needs to, or like Ray, she touches something and doesn't want to see it, but you know the mm-hmm. force, you know. Is saying no. Yeah, you you yeah. need to. You need like this when awakening. She, when she picks up, you know, the legacy lightsaber on yeah. uh, Takodana, it's like I don't ever. She says I don't ever want to touch that thing again. It's like, holy cow! Yeah, that's pretty cool. Nice um, job. S- sticking in things that have really um, come about during the sequel trilogy era. My next one. My next best is Force Projection. Uh, this is. So cool to me on so many levels. Um, First and foremost is the fact that it is used by Luke Skywalker in a moment of compassion for his nephew rather than, 
using it for the violence that most would have resorted to. Easy for me to say. Uh, But really it comes down to like the intent and, and use of the abilities is something that is more important to me than the ability in and of itself. I think that kind of goes to what you were talking about, Drew, with the the connection meditation um, situation there. I put Luke's projection here specifically because it's different than what we got with Ray and Kylo. Ray and Kylo become connected by the Force, but they don't control it until maybe that moment you have uh, the lightsaber pass. Luke is in control uh, in in The Last Jedi. He's creating, through meditation, the exact form he needs to get Ben Solo to where Ben Solo needs to be by the end of uh, of that story to start to really crack that shell that will break fully open in Rise of Skywalker. So to me, there's just nothing not cool about it, and uh, <laughs> it's it's arguable whether that or throwing away the lightsaber is the most Jedi act of all time. But if we're talking abilities-wise, greatest Jedi act of all time. Nice. So Small, small bit of, of contention. Absolutely used in the Legends continuum before uh, Last Jedi. But that's okay. Fair enough. Uh, I have not read that particular or i've not gotten to that particular part yet no, so it's it's yeah <laughs> pretty well established <laughs> more more to come on that all right so let's get to our best butts um or our worst butts what are they the number Drew? one butt your number um, one butt see i'm not going to use that joke i was going to use earlier um your top I, butt, your best butt i'm not a fan of the bleeding of lightsaber crystals oh my god mm. We're going to throw hands. Wow. Not what I thought you were going to say. I think it's very silly. Um, I understand the, uh, like why it was used. I was, I tried to read as much of this as I could because I know it's got some support out there among fans. And so I wanted to really try and understand it as best I could. And it seems like, I think it really is Charles Soule's uh, Vader comic that really introduced and flushed out the whole concept of pouring your hate and anger and rage into the saber in order to uh, poison it, basically, to turn it red. That's just not interesting um, to me. Like, the, I, the lightsaber colors, and, and again, this may just be a product of the fact that like for, for too many years I was involved in too many of the other kinds of like the Legends things that don't really count to anymore, which is fine. I don't care. The, the idea behind lightsaber colors was originally meant to display role. Um, you know, if you had this color, it meant you, this was your job. If you had that color, it meant that was your job. Those things being interchangeable. The, establishing a relationship with your crystals was a pretty novel concept and didn't make it's not very comfortable to me um i don't like that idea because for a couple different reasons i think but i i don't think that um it, it doesn't sit well with me especially when when we talk about where the force comes from and how the force interacts with sentient beings if the force is in living things as a result of the midichlorians these things don't have them um so how does the force channel through them? That it kind of count, that is counter to what is established within the fiction already. I think it's neat that there's a planet by which they all come from, 
but then harvesting that planet and destroying those crystals and using them for the super weapon kind of things is weird too, especially again, why would Palpatine harvest all those things and then destroy them and using them to super weapon when he would use them to keep the Jedi down or keep his own supply of lightsaber crystals going? I don't, it just, I don't like the idea of bleeding crystals. It doesn't sit well with me. Here's what I would say with regards to the, the midi-chlorians thing in particular is we're told, yes, the, the midi-chlorians help to communicate with the force. Uh, but we're not told that that's the only way that it happens. So, but we're uh, we're not. It is implied because you have a scale of the more you have, the stronger you are within the idea can be within organic beings. But that's not to say that the force can't communicate with other things in other ways. Yoda says in empire, the rocks, the trees, the ship, it, the force flows through these things, but it does not speak to us through those things. But the kyber crystal is not speaking in the same way that like the force speaks to by giving visions and, and I, stuff. And I think that is some, what the fiction is trying to get us to believe, though, is that it is, is that there is a mm-hmm. conversation, that there is a relationship between these two entities where the, the crystal is a conduit and a recipient of that relationship action from the, the user. I guess I, I, I saw it you. more on an emotional right. level, you know, where it's, it's more of um, that emotional, like you understand it it understands you in a way that like is beyond words whereas the midi-chlorians are more of a uh i guess like it's a really bad analogy but midi-chlorians <laughs> are like an email where um wow <laughs> yeah that's not great you know like but the, you know what i mean like they 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 communicate it directly to you whereas uh the the kyber crystal is more of like when you're in the same room with somebody and you can feel like the energy of that room. Like if you walk into a room and things are like tense and you just walk in and you're like, Oh my God, that's the Kyber crystal. Whereas the force is, no, I kind of always saw it the way drew does where it's that like conductor between the user and the force and the lightsaber. Okay. It's weird to me because there are places, there there are literal locations in the Star Wars universe that radiate the dark side, right? You know, you have mm-hmm. the cave on Dagobah, you have all of Mustafar, basically. You have all these things that are localized, you know, localized spots where the dark side doth reign supreme, right? And the idea would be that those occur naturally. You know, th- those are part of, of life and nature is that there are spots across the galaxy and probably across each planet where in the dark side resides uh, by its very nature that's just where it is um the implication there being when that's not happening then either the light side reigns or perhaps they are in contention but then if the lightsaber crystals are naturally occurring should not then there be crystals that occur naturally evil and so therefore the whole idea that hmm. sith crystals only come from a a bled or poisoned uh, Jedi saber crystal. I don't think those adjectives are in the right order at all. Doesn't hold up. Like they don't stack up against one each. Those two things do feel 
um, in contradiction. It, it is zero sum. It's kind of got to be either one or the other. You can tell me that the dark side resides in nature and therefore spawns dark crystals. Or you could say that the dark side does not and only crystals that are ever naturally occurring are always based on the light side. But those ideas are in conflict with one another within the, the, the text itself. I think and that is a better defense for your butt than any other defense you've given. Nice. I'll I personally just that. don't agree. <laughs> That's fine. This might be for me what for Brandon his uh, rejection of Ahsoka's whole the Force can yeah. abandon you if you decide to abandon it th- th- approach, in, wherein it creates a lot of questions. The the difference between these two aspects is the existence of Brandon's questions. Again, this is to me not, not to belittle Brandon your particular opinion. The existence of those questions don't inherently contradict what we already know to be true based on other material, whereas the idea of bleeding crystals leads me to questions where the only answer has to be in contradiction to something that's already established. Wow, my biggest butt is going to be so minimal compared to this. <laughs> if yours is just Mace Windu in general, we, we're going to fight. <laughs> just sign um, off now. Yeah, I was going to say, I might just want to... Bye, guys. Talk to you later. <laughs> All right, Lindsay, what do you got then? Please Tell us about it. your Mine little is, It's the only place I can think of is in I, Jedi. Luke, oh, what do you think it is? Tread carefully, counselor. All right, treading, no treading. It's the Force smell. <laughs> the fact that this kind of goes back to the Force jacket, where it's like, we're never really going to use this except for this one time where it's going to be super convenient. By the way, the Force can heighten certain yep. senses, so when Luke needs to become a space bloodhound, he's going to be a space bloodhound. <laughs> so you could say that this, but uh, it stinks, is what you're saying. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. Good. Oh, my gotcha. God. Hi, ho. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Walked right into that one, didn't we? I hate myself for one, not seeing that coming, and two, after all of the back and forth Drew and I have had offline about the butts, Brandon <laughs> slipped the best one liner of the night in. It's pretty good. It was pretty good. Well done. Damn it. All right. So going all right, Brandon, to hit us. Hit us my, with your most offensive. My most offensive butt is um and you, you got to listen because there's an explanation to it, but it is uh, oh, the, the force bond. It's the the touch heard what? across the galaxy, and here's why. In I, oh, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait, wasn't even, your first one projection? Yes, I've got a reason. I have a reason. Okay. I don't even know what you're talking about yet. So, <laughs> Ray, the yes, you do. Ray and Kylo touching hands, being able oh. to take things. And move them across, okay? And here's why what? Here's why it's a problem to me. <laughs> here's why it's a problem to me. In Secrets of the Jedi, which is a book written in-universe by Luke Skywalker, it says, On occasion, the Force allows us to connect with another living being and communicate with them across great distances, seeing what they see and feeling what they feel. Though this may seem... Uh, like a harmless and perhaps valuable ability, it is easily manipulated by those on the dark side of the Force. Some powerful Force users have been able to create secret bonds with others who are unaware of the connection. This is, at the end of the day, a butt that should be the best. 
There we go. I was waiting for it. Don't say anything about the Kardashians. Don't say anything Um, about the Kardashians. No, but seriously, considering the force bond (laughs) like that of Ray and Ben as a dark side act is total hypocrisy and not backed up by the text that we have. What? First, the hypocrisy. Jedi are allowed to use mind tricks. And in the same book that I quoted from, Secrets of the Jedi, written in universe by Luke Skywalker, he calls the mind trick a light side ability when it does exactly the thing that makes a dark makes bonding a dark side ability, which is manipulation. Creating secret bonds with others that they are unaware of is literally just a really big mind trick. On top of that, and this is critical, the story does not back up that bond being of the dark side. Does Kylo try to manipulate... No, no. Does Kylo try to manipulate Rey when they first bond in The Last Jedi? Yes, he does. He does it by trying to use a mind trick. After that, there's no... He doesn't try to manipulate. He... They are at odds. He tries to convince her to join him, but he is not manipulating her. The closest argument that you could possibly make that he is is that he doesn't tell Rey the full story about her parents... But as far as we know, he didn't know that whole story. So that's just a lack of knowledge. But when it comes to Ben and Ray's bond, and particularly the hand touch in The Last Jedi, this is very much a moment of compassion and understanding. So even if you go outside of that particular bond and you look even at Leia and Ben connecting in Rise of Skywalker, it helps save the galaxy. It's compassionate. It's understanding. It's forgiving. It gives life to Ben Solo. You can talk the exact same way about the lightsaber pass between Ben and Ray. Bottom line, this is a very, and I'm going to use a word I don't like, a very powerful ability. Yes, in the wrong hands, it can be dangerous. But that can be said about literally every Force thing, except for maybe Force smell. <laughs> that's, so wait, do you, that's do you on the like- person... Not the ability. I love it. Do you like it or do you not like it? Because I feel like you just defended why it's good. I did. (laughs) But it's a but because it is being considered and portrayed as a dark side ability. Well, I mean... I didn't see it as being being portrayed by a dark side ability, though. Exactly. But in the canon, in a book written by Luke Skywalker that is canonically written after Ray leaves from Octo before he projects himself, he writes that that is a dark side ability. It is very but, clearly categorized. But divided. didn't we just watch like six movies about the fact that Luke Skywalker is fallible? <laughs> yes. And also... Why is the bond connect considered dark side, but the mind trick is considered light side? It's the the fact that the the narrative is changed based on the point that one wants to make, and it's not being backed up by the actual actual events that have happened. Everything to do with a force bond connects the people together in a, a positive way. But but it's being the canon is portraying it as a dark side ability. That's my issue. I don't know, man. Seems like you kind of like the the ability itself, though. I do. But that's what I'm saying. It's not a but because of the ability. It's a but because of the perception that's being created around it. 
But Snoke says he created the bond between them. Yes, but the Snoke actual the the I'm confused. Yeah, the bond confused, itself yeah. is what happens when they touch hands. It's what happens when they are able to actually how, connect how do you across. know that? How do you know that? Because the, in the book, there is a picture of them touching hands right next to uh, in, where it's talking in, about the Force Bond. In, see, secret, in the Secrets of the Jedi. But The Last Jedi, I, I think... Oh boy, this is a this is a. a but see, I take I take a lot of that as Legends of Luke Skywalker, where it's like these are the stories being told. It's not that this is Bible, but these are the stories being told. Uh, that's harder to when it, it's got a byline, but by, by one L Skywalker though. Like if he's writing, this is his experiences and, and whatnot. Then it has a lot. It should be treated as a lot closer to the source of original truth mm. than in that case. Yeah, that's but that's I, my I, problem. Well, I just it, it's very hard for me to separate the idea of a force bond from your praise of the force dyad. Like, yeah, I don't see the 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 sequel trilogy. This is, might be an issue just within the films themselves because the films tell me that those two characters are connected by the force, but it is stoked by Snoke. <laughs> stoked by Snoke. Um, mm-hmm where he uses their connection for evil and he pours his dark side into it in order to confuse and to put the two of them in conflict with one another. Like you said, Kylo Ren is uses the force only one time through that connection in the last Jedi, um, where he tries to say, you will bring, you know, Luke Skywalker to me or whatever it says. I don't even remember, but all the rest of their connections are conversational. He's, not manipulating her through the force, but he is certainly trying to manipulate her. Like that is undeniable. What he is doing is, is mind games with her. And if, if your idea of playing with somebody's mind is, is an inherently dark side action, whether it uses the force or not, I don't see how you get around that because he is absolutely conditioning her to trust and rely on him. You know, you're nothing to anyone, but not to me, you know, that kind of thing is, 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 predatory isn't it yes i'm not gonna say that it's not um but i think when we're talking specifically about the force abilities there the difference is that's manipulation so then maybe what i'm trying to say is the issue for me is more the hypocrisy around how the force is allowed or not allowed to be used or how it's categorized maybe is even a better way of saying it because you have the mind trick, which is literal manipulation. And because you're using it for good, okay, that's fine. But the bond, because it has the possibility to be used in the wrong way. It's, it's the old, like it's the old, and I hate bringing this up, but it's the old like gun argument. You know, like it's like the guns don't actually hurt guns anybody. Kill people people p- kill people, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, because I can understand that as that element, that kind of approach to the argument. But be, I think the force bond is maybe described as a dark side power because of its inherent ease of slippage. Like, you know, 
to to kind of continue along your firearms metaphor, like a nine millimeter is one thing, like, but a rocket launcher is something else. That's not something you use for self defense, and so I think that's kind of perhaps to impute this argument upon Luke's own words is to say a similar thing where a mind trick might be more of the nine millimeter side of things. Whereas the force bond in the way in which it can so easily be used for, for wrong and for evil and for self aggrandizement would be much more akin to the, you know, drive, you know, I want to own a tank mentality of which one of my law professors once had in college. And I was like, I got to get out of here. (laughs) <laughs> yeah I, I i could see it through that lens for sure i think that's that might be if we're going to go with your your kind of analogy there i think that's probably i always thought the the mind trick was much more insidious and dark sidey than the films give it credit for like, yeah that's like, real dangerous i mean isn't it? think about it oh if i had that ability you think i wouldn't be using that for evil all the time like there's <laughs> no way you don't slip down that that uh that hill you're definitely it seems so easy to go so ra- so bad so quickly. you will give me a raise like it's not hard at all to just no. like all of a sudden you know you have this this power and yeah i mean i think it goes back to the idea of like uh, the narrative that we create around it like why are we considering things light side? Because the end result is the ends justify the means. The end right. result is good, or because we like Ben Kenobi, it's okay. But we don't like Kylo Ren, so it's not. That's well. And there's there's also an the, the you're you're right. That is one issue. Another one I would bring up is the qualification of if a someone we presume to be a good person does it, it must be good. Mm-hmm. You know, Ben Kenobi does it, and it's good. But when Luke does it at the beginning of Return of the Jedi, you will take me to Jabba now. We're supposed to understand Luke in those moments in that first half of the film, slipping ever closer to the dark side. Like he is supposed to be becoming more like Vader in each and every passing moment, where you know he chokes the two Gamorrean guards, and then he mind you know mind tricks Bib Fortuna into bringing him into Jabba's inner circle. So we are supposed to read that as a dark action because it's so closely linked to the first one, which we have known to be a dark side action. So well, and here's the here's the thing in, that's in interesting the with that wielder. is growing up that never the idea that Luke was using the mind trick for something that was dark and that he was slipping closer to the dark side was not something that clicked for me till much later after having watching the films many, many times. I would have to agree, but you and I were also the same age watching it. Well, yeah, but we had seen, we had seen Ben Kenobi use it. So you're then conditioned to think, okay, that's for the good. So you see Luke using it to go, save his friends okay it's for the good where there's a lot more nuance going on there you know yeah I, i'm not sure the film does it, the best job possible right. of making that connection i think that the it's just it's it's not super well directed sorry richard marquand all right let's <laughs> go to, to our TV. our best force moments or abilities andrew i'm gonna let you take it away there all right um this, this is going to pale in comparison of like seriousness and whatnot. Um, <laughs> the ability to absorb energy, as in a lightsaber blade or force lightning, evidently has a name called Tutaminis, I think. Um, Where do they get this stuff? They just like, I swear they just get like boggle and just see what letters come out. <laughs> yeah, you just take, it's, it's a number of syllables and you throw them all together and it's fine. It's whatever. Um, there's a couple examples on screen, but I want to talk about my favorite one in a moment. You, you know, Yoda catches Sidious's lightning in Revenge of the Sith is really interesting. Um, 
even if you go back to the Clone Wars in the Mortis arc, the father catches Anakin's lightsaber and forces it back into the hilt, shutting Ooh, it off. Yeah. Is really interesting. But the one that got, got my attention, I think this might have been the first time we saw it. I'm not sure if that's true or not. Was There was a trailer for the Old Republic game many, many years ago um, that depicts the Battle of Alderaan and one Jedi Master catches the lightsaber of Darth Malgus. He goes in for a stab and so you kind of have to imagine a lightsaber blade coming at you. She puts her two hands together and catches the blade in the palm of her hands. And so it's supposed to be piercing through her but you can see it scattering from her hands and it's this amazing moment of, of mastery of the Force, I think, where it shuts down the only thing that could strike a Jedi down. Like The idea that you could stop a lightsaber blade is unbelievably entertaining. Like It will never get old for me. Every time somebody... Wait, when was that, though? Because would that have been before Attack of the Clones, where Yoda catches uh... the lightning? Well, he... Because the... Yoda catching the lightning was my first time remembering it. He de- It's different in Attack of the Clones when Dooku shoots at him because he's redirecting it. Like, it's shooting away from... No, he he catches it, and, like, he gets it all in a little he, ball. Because, uh, re- yeah, I remember yeah, thinking right, he's right. always going to throw it back, but he just, like, swallows it, kind of. See, and I like that when it's done in Revenge of the Sith, when they're so close to each other, and they get close enough, like, Sidious and Yoda are almost touching hand-to-hand, and then it, the, 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 the power between them explodes, forces them back to their corners, essentially. I had forgotten about that moment in Attack of the Clones where he takes it and curls his hand around it and dismisses yeah. it. I think that kind of mastery of the Force is very interesting because it, it, it's more emblematic of the knowledge and defense side of things. Um, there is, upon, somewhere in my honorable mentions list, the concept, and I, it's going to take me 60 seconds to make sure to get around to why this matters. There's a, a force power called force judgment, which is basically the light side version of lightning. You know, Sith lightning is supposed to be one of the most uh, corrupting and unnatural uses of the force in all Star Wars history. It's the way it's described. But evidently, the light side has a version of this too, force judgment in quotes. It's, it's really ridiculous. It shows up in video games. Again, it's to make games exciting. And I understand they've got to do that at some point. Using the Force in an offensive lightning way like that is fun to watch. It's cool. It was really cool when Palpatine did it in Return of the Jedi, and no one had ever seen anything like that. But the idea of there's a power equal to and greater than that, which can dismiss it, is super fascinating. And then to see that kind of power applied to a lightsaber blade is just really, really interesting because you think of the way you kill a Jedi is you strike him down with a lightsaber. You know That's what we see in A New Hope and in Phantom Menace. And, you know, that's what happens to bad guys and to good guys is they get struck down by lightsaber blades. But there's a power out there that could stop even that. It's really, really fun. I like that one a lot. It reminds me a lot of um, that art of Luke Skywalker stopping Kylo's blade in uh, Rise of Skywalker. Do you remember seeing that? Uh, I'm going to pretend I did. Yeah, it was real cool. He like literally no Force Ghost about. Luke like grabs Kylo's lightsaber blade. Well, see that that would be less interesting. Maybe there's more to it, but Deus Ex Machina is not super fascinating because appearing out of nowhere to do something. Eh, okay, sure. I mean, maybe <laughs> visually it's as striking, perhaps. But I, I, I like the the idea of this is a desperate move too. 
Like that's the fair. last bit of everything I've got in order to stop myself from dying. I'm literally pouring everything I've got into force to making this not kill me. It was really, really cool. Okay. I dig it. Google, <laughs> go Google Old Republic, Hope Cinematic Trailer. Best five minutes of your day on the internet. <laughs> uh, other than this. Um, Lindsay, <laughs> take it away. Other than this. Um, mine actually really surprised me because if I'm being honest, when we were first introduced to it, at least that I remember first being introduced to it, um, wasn't that big of a fan and thought it felt like kind of a silly cop-out for a lot of reasons. But... The more that we got it in other mediums, the more I liked it. And what really sold me was Battlefront 2, the epilogue, um, the video game to be exact. Um, I actually really like the, I don't know the exact term for it, but like the mind meld where we first saw this in uh, Force Awakens when Kylo Ren can kind of go in and or probe, the mind probe. And he can extract information as needed. I always thought it it was one of those things where it seemed at first, okay, here's kind of a cop out. How come this kid can do it? We've never seen this before. But <laughs> I really enjoy the fact that it shows how powerful he is, what a skill this is, how exhausting it is for, it seems like him sometimes, but more so playing it and going into Delmico's mind in Battlefront 2 and understanding the fear and the anxiety that it causes for the reciprocant is awesome. Like, we've never seen that before. And I'm fine with learning more about dark side abilities. And I'm fine if someone on the light side wanted to start doing it. But I just think it's a really cool and a really inventive way to show what the Force is capable of doing. Hmm. Okay. I like it. It's a good one. I'll allow it. <laughs> You'll allow it. <laughs> Fascinating. Phew. Lucky me. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. You're welcome. God, he, what are you going to do? Revoke her parking pass for that one or something? Come on. <laughs> yeah, try again. Here's your mulligan. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you could do better than that. Come on. Well, here's the thing. Let me tell you Mind what the right pro- answer oh. is. Yeah, exactly. Tauntauns. Exactly. Yes, that is it. They give their midi-chlorians to the galaxy. No, um, the best force ability is force healing. Um, I Ooh, okay. love this so much. Okay, All so right, I'm down. Ahsoka sabers are the first time that we really see this. And she, of course, takes the kyber crystals from an inquisitor who had bled them and heals them to make them white. Um, that is one of my favorite things, not even because it's Ahsoka. It's the the compassion and the metaphor that no one's ever really gone and nothing is ever hopeless. So that's why, Drew, to go back to your bleeding the crystal, why um, I had such a reaction to that. Because without the bleeding of the crystals, then you don't get the healing of the crystals. And I like that. But the idea continues with Rey healing the Skywalker saber but there's a nice twist on this one because Ray and Kylo break the saber in opposition and in an act of uh, aggression, whereas Ray heals the saber 
uh, like she'll later be healing Ben's wound, the Skywalker legacy, and all of that stuff. And to me, the fact that she figured this out all through the use of the ancient text just makes it even better because she's learning from books, and that's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> with all, all the issues of, that, that Tross has in its storytelling, the healing is a great aspect. It added a lot to the Force. It is used well in the story itself from Ray healing the snake to BB eight following her example and helping Dio, uh, then her helping Ben. And then, and then, like I said, the, the ultimate act of compassion for him that helps him to, um, return to the light. So there's, there's this one outlier with baby Yoda in grief that, um, works really well as a scene. And if it just gets left there with the fact that it was, uh, needed for the plot, but didn't, really link to the saga itself that can become a little bit mm. messy um especially yeah. with the book i think it was um i think it was just called the star wars book that came out and said that the uh force healing is the uh a, a dyad um power uh and that they can what? heal each other yeah so grief. um and i think that made it on the star wars.com too so whether Can that actually... I just point out that when I said I thought your number one would be Tauntauns, it kind of is because once again, someone <laughs> picks their bottom thing that they hated and you were like, no, it's the best. And then give a really eloquent answer for why it's the best. <laughs> I mean, I make bad things look good. What can I say? Not sure that's a skill to be proud of, but okay. Oh, oh. well... <laughs> It helps me through it life. It sounds so. like a jab about your wife, but... Whoa! Wow, okay. <laughs> I love her. It's getting personal she's beautiful. <laughs> she is... Uh, sorry, she, if she makes it through any of the podcasts, she's definitely not making it to a minute 112. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I think Brooke would say it about you. Oh, 100%. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Easily. Yeah. Easily. Oh, man. Um, I am a butt, if nothing else. Um... <laughs> <laughs> that that wraps it up, guys. We Aww. we did our bests and our butts, and we had some good butts and some buddy bests, and we were all over the place. Nope, uh, nope. Stop. You're losing it. <laughs> you're you're going off the rails, man. <laughs> it's already it off in. the rails. Who are we kidding? Reel it in. All right. Um, I mean, let's go ahead. Calling it best and butts. <laughs> <laughs> let's go ahead and pull this train into the station, uh, so we don't go off the rails there and close it out. Uh, Drew, tell people uh, where they can find you, what you're working on, and all that good stuff. I am still on the Twitter at the Drew Brett, or on the in the Facebook group is a good place um, to find me lurking there. Um, I think I've stumbled upon a new hobby of taking pictures of the Star Wars sections of bookstores and putting them online and seeing how many we've read. Um, it's a neat little thing to see, figure out who has read some and who have read none, evidently. There's people who have read like one book and it's like, oh my goodness, is that a reflection of the lack of interest or just a really crummy bookstore? Could be both. Could be neither. Um, so the Facebook group and Twitter, I'm try- I've got like two or three articles I really want to get put together. I've been working on the same ones for a long time, but... Man, if you haven't noticed, the residual effects of 2020 on 2021 have been strong. So working on that. But um, hopefully some some interesting things. Now that The Mandalorian has cooled down, um, I can go back and focus on my uh, pod racing article. You guys are going to love. And by love, I mean not look at because it's weird. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm so excited now. 8,000 words on the metaphorical analysis of 
Close, close. I'm looking at a legal analysis of something hyper-specific. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right, all right. Uh, just make sure Ben Quadraneros knows that he needs a lawyer. That's all I'm saying. Because Target audience, man. If no idea. Know it. <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay, what about you? Uh, what do you What do you? Yeah, so talk about uh, residual effects and January not going quite the way I had wanted it to. I'm still working on a series of articles, actually, about uh, Star Wars and cults. So if anyone wants to talk a little Ooh. true crime and culty, uh, hit me up on Twitter at the Lady of Lore. Fascinating. That's going to be good stuff. Um, I'm very much looking forward to that. I forgot you were working on that. It's going to be fun. Uh, if you want to just keep up with everything that we're coming out with, if you want uh, notifications about when articles are released or new podcast episodes drop or uh, to just hear my amazing Star Wars thoughts, you can follow us on Twitter at Clashing Sabers. Um, like Drew mentioned, we have the Facebook group, uh, Clashing Sabers Star Wars, and that will have um, everything for you there that you can find with regards to uh, our fundraiser and content coming out. And of course, our hub is clashingsavers.net. That's got, again, where you can find our Patreon, nominated teacher, all of that stuff. So please, nominating a teacher will take you all of three minutes and it will change the lives of a lot of students. So take a minute and go over there. Take a minute and go check out our Patreon and take a minute and just think about uh, what force abilities are your best in butts and let us know over on the socials or even send us an email at clashingsabersnetwork at gmail.com. But until then, let's all remember that the greatest thing the force ever did was bring together Batch 8, Hi. Hello. Man, that was we haven't done that in a minute. Like with just us, and that was smooth, guys. I'm yeah. proud of you. Nice. I mean, well, to be fair, like... Drew and I did it in the middle of the show. <laughs> <laughs> Had a little warm up there. We had a, pl- a, we had a plan for another another similar uh, joint response. Moment too, so. <laughs> the podcast you just listened to and all other Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of ClashingSabers.net. All sounds and materials used from other creators is their stuff, and we just use different informational and educational purposes. Bottom line, we made it, it's ours, they made it, it's theirs. Seems simple, but if you're still confused, feel free to email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. We have no association with Lucasfilm, Disney, or any of the other fine companies that make all this stuff we talk about, but... Kathleen Kennedy, if you need anything, let me know. I work for cheap. Now let's blow this thing and get out of here.